It's Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about. Hypercritical is hosted by John Syracusa. I'm Ryan Ireland, sitting in for Dan. Bandwidth for this show is brought to you by Midas Green Tech. Virtual private servers submerged in oil. Get free bandwidth today at MidasGreenTech.com slash 5x5. We'd also like to thank our sponsors for this episode, FreshBooks.com and SourceBits.com. More about them as the show goes on. All right, John, what's on the list this week? Uh, Last week you mentioned uh, maybe talking about Markdown, but we never got to it. Yeah, maybe we won't get to it this week either, because every time time I think I have a topic I want to talk about, news happens. But before we get to any news stuff, I think we should do a little bit of follow-up from last week. So the title of last week's episode and one of the stories I uh, relayed during the episode was Paths in the Grass. And I mentioned that it was a story that I had heard originally in... uh, I think it was a keynote speech at an open source conference from Larry Wall uh, talking about how some university in California didn't put in sidewalks but just let people walk wherever they wanted on the grass and then figured out where the trails were worn in the grass and then put in sidewalks there. And I couldn't remember the name of the university, so I looked it up after the show, and actually I was off. What Larry Wall said in his thing was it was the University of California at Irvine campus that did this. And then, of course... Many other people said, well, this, you know, this may just be an urban legend, which is true. It, it, the same story has been attributed to many schools. Maybe many schools actually do this. And in fact, there's a name for this type of thing. It's called a desire path. Uh, I have the Wikipedia link to desire path in the show notes so people can look it up. But apparently this is a common thing. Uh, and who knows where the saying originally came from. But I just wanted to flesh out that, uh, the backstory of paths in the grass. And, of course, I used it back in whatever year it was, 2008, 2005, something like that, to talk about Haxies. And that's what we talked about on the last show. Uh, another thing we talked about maybe a couple shows ago, discussing Lion. Uh, when, we, when Dan and I discussed the scrolling, you know, the, the quote-unquote reverse scrolling versus natural scrolling and all that business, I mentioned that no matter what setting you put those little checkboxes in, something feels weird. So, for example, if you put it in the pre-lion mode like oh, i just want it to work like it didn't snow leopard okay so you, you sit, put it in that mode it's fine you're using your mouse with your mouse deal or whatever everything is exactly as it was in snow leopard but then when you go to something like uh a mission control with the, with the spaces or uh launch pad is another good example and you try to do a sideways swipe in launch pad like say you have a, a, a trackpad attached or you have a laptop or something even in the even in the default not the default, even in the old style Snow Leopard mode, when you do the swipe, the two-finger swipe or whatever it is to go back and forth between launch pad screens, that feels backwards. Because as soon as you see that big grid of icons, your brain goes into iOS mode and you expect to swipe just like you swipe through your home screens on your iPhone or whatever. But that's not the way it works because you said, no, 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 I want it back the old way. Uh, so what I was saying is that I, what I really wanted is maybe a vertical scrolling to be like it is uh, you know, in the old days, in Snow Leopard, but horizontal scrolling to be in the new style. But maybe, or maybe I want it to be vertical scrolling the old way only on my mouse wheel, 
but have it be the new way on the touchpad and all sorts of combinations like that. And I, I made the analogy to uh, first-person shooter games. We can always do the uh, invert Y-axis setting. Right. Some people like to push their mouse the wrong way. And yes, in first-person shooters, it really is wrong. All right. <laughs> push their mouse the wrong way to make their view go up and down. So finally, there's a utility. Finally, that's the, yeah, that's the big thing. Finally, it's been how long since Line came out? Almost three weeks. Ah, no, there's a great utility called, what is it called? I have to go to the page. It's got some sort of generic name. I think it's Scroll Reverser for Mac OS X. There you go. Generic name, but very descriptive. And it lets you have per axis, per device, scroll direction reversal. Because so, scrolling, scrolling with the, doing natural scrolling with the scroll wheel on a mouse is really strange for people. Right. Yeah. So you yeah. can do reverse the vertical, reverse the horizontal. You can reverse the trackpad, the mouse, or the tablet. Uh, and and this utility works on Snow Leopard as well as Lion. So you can huh. decide what you think is the most natural combination of input devices and scrolling directions, and then apply that to all your Macs, no matter which operating system they're running. And then just I guess run this scroll reverser application for the rest of your life. I don't know. Uh, there is something to be said for finding a way to become acclimated with the defaults. No matter how painful that may be, simply yeah. so you don't run I, utility. I'm actually a little surprised by by how big of an issue this has become because I just switched, and maybe I'm just a uh, maybe I'm just kind of a pushover when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I just switched, and yeah, it took me took me a half hour to get used to to the scrolling and everything. But everything else felt pretty much normal to me. So, yeah, uh, it's easy to get used to these things. Like you will become, I became acclimated to the reverse one just playing around with Lion, you know, on and off while I was doing my review. But the the, the reason I noticed that I became acclimated because I would go back to my normal computer and try to do something, and then the screen would go the wrong way because I had gotten used to the other way. So having some sort of unified direction across all your Macs, whether they're running Snow Leopard or Lion, is important during this transition period. Because even if you get used to the new one, then you're just, then you're just frustrated doubly. Because you're frustrated when you go back to Snow Leopard, and then you get used to Snow Leopard, and you're frustrated when you go back to Lion, and so on and so forth. So uh, one possibility is to just set it to the Snow Leopard direction everywhere for now until the transition is complete. And then once all your machines at home and at work and every Mac you encounter is running Lion, then you can get used to the new way. Uh, and that'll only take like a day or two, I think. All right. Well, that sounds good for, for people that are losing sleep about scrolling. Yeah, I, I do like the idea. I hope Apple builds this in. I do like the idea of being able to pick on a per-device basis which way things should be because the mouse I agree. wheel is very different from a touchpad. Yeah, I went in, uh, after I installed Lion, I actually went out to the Apple Store and bought the trackpad because it it was just kind of weird to me with the with the mouse. So uh, yeah, well that's um, that's nice then for for people that that need a a, a little bit of the uh, the more specific settings per per device. So it's um, scroll reverse or reverse trackpad reverse mouse. Re- so this is pretty. Uh, do you think it's something that Apple will build in, build in though eventually? You think it's or or, or do you think they're just going to let people suffer through the transition? I think what Apple believes is that the that the mouse will become so. Uh, so much less important as an input device. Already, the trackpad is the dominant input device for Macs because they sell many more laptops than they do desktops, and laptops don't come with a mouse. So already, everything is biased towards, well, we're just going to make it feel right on the trackpad, and if it doesn't feel yeah. right with you or your mouse, tough luck. And the mouse and, even is limited in the in the gestures, too. So it's not that they try yeah. to support everything. And they do have a touch mouse, and they do have that touch trackpad thing. I, I actually bought a trackpad 
before I started doing my line reviews just so I'd be able to experience the full swipey, swatty, poy nature of the operating system. Uh, I don't I don't like touchpads. I'm vastly, vastly more efficient with a mouse. Like if you did some sort of laboratory experiment and say, shapes will appear on the screen, click on them as fast as you can with your chosen input device, I would crush any trackpad user with a mouse, guaranteed. Because <laughs> it's, it's like playing a first-person shooter with someone with a, a mouse and keyboard versus a console joystick. Right. You may enjoy one or the other, and you may be, uh, you know, it may feel more natural to you, and that's probably what's important if you like the trackpad, but efficiency-wise... But Syracuse is going to come out with more kills, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh, and anybody, like, do, do you, do, have you ever met anyone who would claim that they are actually better at finding and clicking on targets with a trackpad than with a mouse? I have not, but I, but I, but I'm comfortable with the with the trackpad. Yeah, yeah. No, people could be people could actually enjoy it better than a mouse. So they say, right. well, I don't like shuffling around this thing. But just in terms of raw numbers. If you're going to figure out how much, what is the cognitive load of using the trackpad? How many gestures does it take? How long does it take? Uh, Trackpads are are a compromise in efficiency. And if you're someone like me who grew up with a mouse, I just can't get used to the fact that I've got to move my finger again to get the cursor over there, or it's not quite where I wanted it to be, or just... It just doesn't feel as relaxing to me to use a touch a trackpad. Yeah, no, to me, the trackpad feels uh, more work. And it almost feels like I could more easily injure my, my hand using the trackpad for long periods of time than I could if I was using a mouse. Do you feel like your tendons are under more tension with the trackpad? Like I, you're... Yeah, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm using... Yeah, I'm, I'm using my fingers uh, in, in a way, in you know... Uh, in repetition in a way that, that I don't I, I never did with a mouse and I wasn't used to um, I know that you do scrolling but you know when with the trackpad you're using many more fingers and using them a lot more uh, than you would especially with, with moving the cursor around the screen and I have tracking set really fast because I hate a dragging uh, cursor but uh, but yeah no I feel like it's more work and actually it's, that's my main concern about using the trackpad is I'm going to hurt myself um, because I do spend so many hours on the computer and the mouse uh, never felt like it was going to injure me because I, you know, maybe I just have good posture when I work. But the trackpad just always feels like, you know, I'm going to do something to my fingers at some point. So yeah, there's a couple, a couple of factors working against the trackpad. One is that since it is touch sensitive, there's the inclination to be afraid to let any part of your hand touch it or around it. So your your whole hand is like poised tensely, or depending on how what kind of person you are poised above the thing and you don't want to touch it with your other finger. So you're keeping your other fingers lifted up. You're keeping your hand away from it. Your hand is not relaxed. You're kind of hovering it over. They just letting the finger that you want touch it. Now you could find a comfortable position with some part of your hand resting around the trackpad where that's not necessary. But the fact is that people do feel a little bit of that tension. Some people feel it on mice too. If you watch a novice user using a mouse, they'll be afraid to touch the button parts. They won't rest their hand on the mouse the way an experienced mouse user will. Uh, but I find that more problem with trackpads. The second is with, with the glass trackpad that Apple's added, instead of having a separate button, the whole thing is a button, but it's still generally hinged on one edge. So you have much more mechanical advantage pressing the, the trackpad down towards the edge that's farthest away from the hinge. So if you're going to, to click the trackpad there's a tendency for, of experienced trackpad users to use their thumb on where the button used to be. 
Uh, but there is also the option when you're kind of in that no man's land of like, well, maybe I could just press down with the finger that I have that I've been moving the cursor with because I'm close enough to where the button region used to be. But you have to press harder because you're not really down as far as you thought you were. It, it's it's an awkward and kind of I mean, it's simplified from a hardware design perspective. You can see why Apple likes it. No more button. It's just the whole thing is a button. Uh, but it's kind of strange in terms of the clicking experience. Uh, the, the trackpad, the trackpad on the desktop is like that too, because on the, the desktop one, the little feet at the bottom are the clicky triggers. Right. And if you're pressing down at the bottom edge, you get good. Uh, your force transfers well to the little clicky feet. But if you're pressing down near the top edge, it's much harder to make the thing tilt and push in the little clicky feet thing. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I think anyone who's used a trackpad has experienced. Uh, the difference in uh, in terms of how much effort and thought is required for that. Now, there are some people who haven't used mice and have only used trackpads, and they're perhaps much more expert than us people who grew up with mice. But I, I still feel like on the mouse, uh, once you become accustomed to it, there's a clear place to grip the mouse. Well, maybe not on Apple's mice, but on, on third-party mice. There's a clear place to grip it. There's a clear place to rest your hand. And the buttons, you're always pressing them in the most mechanically advantageous position because your fingers kind of hang off towards the edge and the front edges are where you want to click on a good mouse. Uh, and it's just, there's no questioning where your hand is or where your fingers are, or where the hinge is, or whether you should you know, hold down with your thumb and press with that. Same thing with like clicking and dragging. Clicking with dragging with the mouse is much more natural. It's like grip and move your hand. Whereas on a trackpad, you're like, well, I have to press down and drag, but if I chose to press down with my, my pointer finger that I was going to do the drag with, now it's weird, so I should really press down with my thumb where the button used to be and drag with the pointer finger, but then I can't lift that pointer finger up or it's like, um, you know, am I stopping the drag at that point? Or actually, I can lift my finger up as long as I keep my thumb down this Lots of finger gymnastics involved in, uh, in trackpads that I find uh, unsettling. Uh, all of which is not to say that trackpads are bad. They're way better than, I think, uh, the, the alternatives like track balls for, for regular people. Regular people know how to just swipe at stuff. But the mouse man just feels so much more efficient to me and actually is. And I, I would put that up against If there's someone out there who thinks that they could, in a laboratory targeting test of like finding and clicking on targets on a computer screen, could outdo either themselves with a mouse versus trackpad or, you know, the best mouser in the world versus the best trackpad in the world. I'd love to hear that. I don't know how I would test it, but I'd like to know if someone thinks that that's possible, that they really are more efficient with the trackpad. All right. The challenge has been issued. We'll see if anyone can come up with anything. Maybe someone will write an application, like a a mouse clicky testing application where it'll put up little things and you have to click on them. It's kind of like the uh, Icon Factory game Pick and Time. Have you ever played that? I have not. I should put that in the show notes. Let's see... It's a game for iOS, which is a very different experience. Because when you're touching the screen, that's an instance where uh, screen touching should be able to crush any mouse person because you don't have to move the mouse over there. It's your, literally your finger. When you see the thing, you click it. So Pick and Time put, pops up images of fruits and vegetables on the screen, and the game is who can tap on them the fastest. So you can either play single player and it just times you or uh, multiplayer on the same thing, and I think you both have to try to tap on the thing as fast as you can. So it's basically... An image will appear on the screen. Oh, there's a fruit. And tap on it as fast as you can with your finger. And they appear in different spots at different sizes. And there are decoy ones and all sorts of the things you would expect. Uh, that would actually be a good test application if only it existed on the Mac where you could do it with a trackpad, do it with the mouse, and then compare it to doing it on an iPad or an iPhone with your finger. And I would have to think that fingers would crush everybody there because there's no indirection. See the thing, tap on it as fast as you can. And that app's already written. Well, maybe... Uh me? So everybody go out and buy Pick and Time. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm loading it up on my phone right now. I did not know about that one. It sounds uh, 
it's fun. Kids like to play it too. And I don't, I don't remember what the shared mode is like. I, I was a beta tester for it way back when. I think there is a shared mode where two people try to tap the screen at the same time. All those games make me think that kids somewhere or adults somewhere are kind of breaking their iOS devices because they're jamming their fingers onto the glass <laughs> screen as hard as they can, you know, while playing the game. All right, uh, a little more follow, but I'll save it for next week. We should move on to some main topics. What's on the docket for today, Mr. Syracuse? Uh, like I said, I had Markdown. It was on the top of Oh, my I've been list looking forward in, to it all week. Until I started going back through and say, well, what else happened this week? Now, I always feel like, I don't know why, but no matter when my show is during the week, I feel like the other shows get to talk about the news of the week before I do. And by the time I get to it, it's all played out. Like, I never really talked about patents on the show because when all the patent stuff was happening, uh, Build and Analyze and the talk show both discussed patents. And then by the time it came... Time for me to record. I'm like, well, they said everything already. Uh, so the HP, I never talked about the Motorola Google thing. The HP thing, I never talked about. Both were discussed on Build and Analyze in the talk show. I want to talk about them a little bit. But before that, there's something else that popped up on my radar. I think it was earlier today. Uh, do you know uh, Robert X. Cringely? Bob Cringely? That's not actually his real name. Uh, but he's a fairly well-known, famous tech writer. Uh, the pseudonym Robert X. Cringely has this interesting history behind it. You should look it up on the Wikipedia page to see how that's worked. But the person with ownership of that name now writes lots of stuff about Apple and the technology world and stuff like that. Uh, and I read his stuff, and in general, he tends towards crazy conspiracy theories and <laughs> sensationalism. But I find that fun. I don't fault him for it. If you read him understanding who he is or where he's coming from, I'm I'm game for some crazy conspiracy theories every once in a while. And, and I think he's self-aware enough to realize that's what he does sometimes, just because it's fun. So his article this week uh, was entitled, Is the Mac Pro Dead? Which I think has been talked about on previous shows, but this is fed by some new, extremely vague rumors. So I think this was on a Japanese website that somebody Google translated that ended up going to an American rumors website and so on and so forth, describing some supposed upcoming new Macs that are like nothing, no Macs that have existed before. I don't, these rumors are so vague that they're ridiculous. Basically, the idea is there will be a new Mac and it will be different. And different meaning, I guess, it's not a Mac Mini, an iMac, or a Mac Pro. Or maybe it is one of those things, but the case looks different. God only knows. This rumor is so vague that it's pointless to even discuss it. So, as Cringely says in his review, I'm going to quote a section here. Uh, he was talking about how the, the Mac Minis were updated recently, but the Mac Pros weren't. And he says, the Mac Pros haven't been updated since last summer. And here's the quote. New Mac models were expected this month with the new Minis, but for some reason, the new Mac Pros failed to appear. Apple said nothing because, well, Apple never says anything. Instead, relying on dopes like me to write non-stories like this one. <laughs> Which is 100% true, you know, but we, hey, we all want to talk about it, right? Uh, the reason I think this is interesting to discuss now is I think... Whether or not this rumor has any foundation in fact, it could. Like, it's plausible. Uh, the reasoning makes some vague kind of sense. And not the kind of sense that, like, the X-Mac makes, where I talked about that in past shows, where everybody wants a Mac that fulfills exactly their needs. It doesn't include anything they don't want to buy. It includes only things they do want to buy. And it's super cheap and blah, blah, blah. And Apple is not interested in making that for geeks anyway, because they would rather have geeks spend more for a Mac Pro if they want the extra stuff. Uh, I think it's worth reviewing why it is that I like a Mac Pro because I'm, I'm a Mac Pro guy. I've always had Mac Pros, Power Mac G5s, the Mac Towers. I've always been that type of guy. 
Uh, and the, the reasons are pretty simple for me personally. It's one, I want a good graphics card so I can play games. And Apple has always put crappy or not as good graphic cards in its laptops and even in the iMac. They've been getting much better over the years. The current best iMac graphics card is actually not embarrassing. Uh, but you can still get higher-end graphics card for the Mac Pro. Big full-length things with their own fans on them. Sometimes they take up two slots. The big honking gaming monster cards you can only get in the Tower Max. And, and I like to play games. So that's why I want that. Yeah, I have a... So I bought the Mac Pro. It's the latest one that came out last summer. And I think I got it. I think, you know, like I got it just a, a couple weeks after it came out. And, I, and you know, I agree that. Now I was always hesitant to buy the the Mac Pro because it is it's big physically so it takes up a lot of space um, and it can generate some heat as well and um, but the, the advantage to me and I think maybe a lot of people are maybe when they think about the Mac Pro and, and what Apple's going to do might be missing uh, some use cases for it because maybe they don't use Mac Pros or don't need Mac Pros but for me it was all about expansion uh, especially you know hard drives so the, there's four bays in the Mac Pro and that's, you know, that's a big deal if you're dealing with a lot of data or something like, you know, what Dan does with 5x5 with a lot of recording of video and audio or, you know, I do uh, Final Cut stuff. And um, so I'm interested to, to, to see what, what Apple does. But uh, to me, sometimes these rumors kind of miss out on actual, you know, why people use the devices. Yeah, that was, that was my second point is that uh, in addition to the graphics card, cheap internal storage. Cause right. It's... Internal hard drive mechanisms are so much cheaper than buying an external drive. It's not even funny, and it's getting worse. Uh, it's really hard. I, I've recently been trying to find an external hard drive because I'm I'm trying to find another external hard drive to back up my wife's laptop to. And I did. I asked on Twitter, you know, does anyone have a good external hard drive they can suggest? And the end result of about a week of research was that I don't have any better options than I previously had. And the, the problems with with external hard drives are generally. The big one is they tend to have cruddy power supplies, like they'll have some sort of power brick, or sometimes they have a small internal power supply, but the quality of those components is really, really low. And failures of these external hard drives, in, at least in my family's experience, my extended family's experience, it's always that stupid power supply, whether it's the internal circuitry that has the older power supply or the external one. They go bad. They're made by the lowest bidder in some Asian country. They are not high-quality products. And having them break, and you know that can cause... You just know that your that your disk isn't responding, and you're terrified of your data, or maybe if the thing died in the middle of doing a write, you actually corrupted some part of the disk, and it's just it's such a, you know penny wise pound foolish decision to go with cheap power supplies. But that's what everybody does because it's a cutthroat business, and the cases themselves tend to have cheap construction because again, every penny counts. So even if they look fancy and they're made of aluminum or they try to look like Apple's design, it's not the same as Apple's design. If you compare any of these cases, even the super expensive ones to an actual piece of Apple hardware like a MacBook Air or even a Mac Pro case or anything like that, you can see the difference in quality. It's thinner metal. It's not as well machined. It's certainly not laser carved like the little microscopic holes that they have on the uh, their laptops and stuff like that. And the cheap cases, the insides are cheap too. It's just metal on metal. That, that makes it so that when you bolt your hard drive into there, the vibration from the hard drive transfers through the case uh, one case I have, which some people actually recommended that I had bought, was an Otherworld computing thing. And it looks reasonably decent, but when you stick a hard drive in it and put it on a flat surface, the thing doesn't have any feet or any rubber insulation anywhere inside it. So it vibrates and makes noise, and that noise transfers through the case to the surface you're on. So the thing kind of like buzzes or hums, kind of like when a cell phone is on a hard table and it starts doing the vibrate ring. 
It does that constantly, you know, not as loud as that, but a similar type of noise. Uh, and the, if you, what I'm always looking for is to buy a separate enclosure because then I can pick my hard drive because they, they, third parties sell external hard drives with the mechanism already in it, but you don't get to pick what kind of hard drive it is. They just say, you know, one terabyte hard drive. And the geek in me wants to know, great, which one terabyte hard <laughs> right. drive is in there? Because, you know, you're charging me $200 for an external one terabyte hard drive, but I can buy a one terabyte hard drive mechanism for 90 bucks and I can pick the exact mechanism I want and be sure that it's well-reviewed and it's the best one out there and has a good reliability and all that stuff. I don't want your mystery meat hard drive inside your crappy case attached to your crappy power supply for triple the price or double the price or whatever. Of course, the problem with enclosures is that at this point, a, an enclosure that's not the very bottom of the barrel is starting to be the same price as a one terabyte hard drive. It's like 50, 60, 70 bucks or more for the quote unquote fancier cases for just the case, just with the, the, your cruddy power supply, your, your hopefully nice Oxford chipset for your Firewire or USB interface or whatever you have in there, serial ATA on the inside, no hard drive in it. 80 bucks for something that stores zero bytes of data. And then you have to buy your $80 or $90 or more hard drive and stick it in there. And that starts pushing up against the price of an external one terabyte hard drive that you could buy for 200 and something or 179 or whatever. It used to be much more economical to buy the cases when hard drives cost more. You'd buy one case and the theory was every time a bigger hard drive came out, you'd take the old hard drive mechanism and put the new one in there. But that hasn't worked out for me that well in practice because parallel ATA gave way to serial ATA and now there are some things that need serial ATA 2 to be fast enough and of course Firewire is giving way to Thunderbolt and all this stuff. So that whole situation, the external hard drive situation, is just a big mess and it's so much nicer to have four internal slots and not have to deal with that and just go to storagereview.com, find what the best desktop hard drive is with your power, noise, and, and uh, heat specs or whatever you're interested in and performance numbers buy exactly the mechanisms you want, get the bare mechanism from the cheapest place you can find, get it from Newegg, get it from Amazon, get it anywhere you want, and just slap it in there. No cables, no power connectors, no nothing. It just sticks right in the Mac Pro, and that's the way to go. Yep. Uh, and, and Apple, the weird thing is that Apple sells third-party external hard drives in its Apple stores, or at least did the last time I was in there, which seems weird to me because generally Apple doesn't like to sell other hardware things in a store. I think even the printers are gone now. Are the printers gone from Apple stores? I haven't. I, I don't remember the last time I was there. I'm actually going to the to the Apple store uh, this afternoon, but I I don't remember. But they definitely do still sell hard drives. In fact, they've they've always had the like a whole display unit with with all these external hard drives. Yeah, but like for printers, there used to be way more printers. I felt mm-hmm. like in Apple stores than than there, there are now. So the same the external hard drives. It's like well, we have these gorgeous computers. And all this nice hardware, and yeah, we have an accessory aisle for cases and all sorts of other little things. But it's not like they're, you know, it's kind of like they're, they want you to buy a nice, beautiful MacBook Air and then attach it to this ugly third-party external hard drive for 200 and something bucks. I, it just seems weird to me that they would have that. So uh, Apple doesn't make their own external hard drives. They used to way back in the day, but they don't make their own. But they feel like people need them enough for a time machine and stuff like that, that they sell them in their store. They do sell the time capsule, which is all Apple sleek and everything, and you do your backups to it and stuff like that. So I think Apple would prefer that you buy that. But if you really want to buy this ugly box with this cruddy external power supply that doesn't really match, and, and the case on the hardware doesn't really match any of our hardware, and attach it to your Mac, then you know, go nuts. Uh, don't bother us when it breaks, because it's not our product, and we don't warranty it. So that's that's why I buy a Mac Pro. Now, there are many other reasons that other people buy Mac Pros because they actually fill all the card slots, not with fancy video cards, but with other kinds of cards, RAID cards or, uh, you know, 
fiber channel cards or God knows what else people are putting inside there for video production and stuff like that. Multiple and displays they, is another reason as well. Yeah, you can put, you know, three video cards in there and each mm-hmm. one supports two displays and you can have some buying, you know, there are reasons to buy a Mac Pro beyond the few that I happen to give. I'm a rarity. I'm not, I don't think I'm the main consumer for a Mac Pro, but it, basically for any gamer who wants to buy a Mac, even if they're just going to use it as a PC, even if they're just going to boot it into Windows, if you want a good video card, you have to buy this big hunk and tower that you, maybe you won't ever, ever fill all those hard drive slots. Or actually, I have the, the Mac Pros have two optical bays. Opticals are going the way of the Dodo, but I have both my optical bays filled just because it was so cheap. I said, you know, why not? Why not have two in there? I mean, burn two uh, optical disks at once or have two disks in the drive for games that require the disk to be in the drive back in the day. Uh, but yeah, those optical drives are going away. So that's another reason that the Mac Pro doesn't. You, know, you could take out those two optical drives and put two more hard drives there or three more hard drives there. Or you can make the case smaller or whatever. So this rumor about the Mac Pro going away, if you let's just assume that there is some actual basis in fact for this rumor, which I think is, is doubtful that that's true. But if you were to assume that there is some truth behind it, you could say, well, maybe they're just making the Mac Pro smaller. Because if you ditch one or more of the optical drives and, and use maybe a little bit of the lower power CPUs, or fewer CPUs, or maybe just have a single slot model and no more dual CPU model, you could shrink that case substantially while still allowing a video card and maybe two or three, you know, it would be bigger, it would be manually upgradable like the Mac Pro, it would be bigger than a Mac Mini, but it wouldn't have a built-in monitor uh, like an iMac. And that's kind of encroaching on XMAC territory, but it only encroaches on XMAC territory to make it cheaper. What if they kept the prices the same or even made it more expensive and just made the case smaller? Then it would maybe they didn't call it a Mac Pro anymore. Who knows what they would call it? Or maybe they do call it a Mac Pro and people are confused because the case looks different. I don't know. Let's take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor for this episode of Hypercritical. We want to thank FreshBooks. FreshBooks is an easy-to-use online invoicing service that not only saves you time, but it gets you paid faster. And, you know, it's also important that you look professional. And did you know that getting started with FreshBooks is completely free? You just go to FreshBooks.com and you sign up for an account. It's free. There's, uh, there's really nothing, nothing else you need to do, so there's no reason to try out FreshBooks. So here's something cool that they are doing for 5x5 listeners. And they've been doing this for a while now, and uh, a lot of people have been ending up with birthday cakes. That's because FreshBooks is actually giving away a birthday cake every week to somebody that signs up from this show. All you need to do to get a chance to win your own birthday cake is to be sure you enter the show name, so you make sure you enter Hypercritical in the How Did You Hear About Us section when you sign up. And you know, it doesn't even have to be your birthday to win, but who doesn't love birthday cake? I know I love birthday cake, mostly the icing. All right, so go ahead and check out FreshBooks.com, and hey, you might actually enjoy invoicing. And we thank FreshBooks for supporting Hypercritical. But the Mac Pros have a lot of a lot of uh, empty space in them, and I, you know, I, I'm assuming that's for proper airflow so that these things can run, you know, cool and quiet. Well, it's only empty if you don't put stuff there. Like if you don't, put, <laughs> I guess if you maybe don't put hard the drives there. Well, not even the hard drives, and I don't have it open right now. But I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, is there's room to collapse it down. And, and I, don't know, I don't know how much room there is, though, if you leave everything in there, because mine is pretty well stuffed. I've got dual CPUs. I've got the four hard drives. I've got one card slot filled. So if I filled the other two card slots, the card bay is pretty much filled. Okay. There's not much room in there. Around the, 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 the places for the CPU cooling, 
used to be more filled than it was when it was like G5s because the G5s needed more cooling. Now the heat sinks are more of a reasonable size, but they've mostly filled that spot with making the fans a little bit bigger. You know, I guess maybe you could shrink it depth wise by several inches to remove the air gap between the front fan and the, and before you hit the heat sink. Uh, the optical drives seem like a clear win because they're they're filling their spots that they're in now, but who needs the optical drives? Ditch those, right? Or just have one optical drive or have no optical drives and sell an external or something. You could save a lot of space there. So I think people who pack their Mac Pros to the gills, the amount of cubic inches that could be reclaimed by rearranging the internal components is significant enough to make the case smaller, but it's not like they're just there's nothing going on in there and, and uh you know but especially with the slots you have to accommodate a full-length pci express card even if you're never going to put a full-length one in there just accommodating half length would kind of negate the purpose of the mac pro right all right so the mac pro the design is old right i, I think i think cringely makes this this uh this argument as well is that it, i think he says it's eight years old is that i think that sounds about right right the, the external design even that's not strictly true because the external design they have changed where the holes are for all the ports but the, the cheese grater the cheese back. grater design though is yeah yeah the overall shape of the case has been the same like if you were to look for it in, in profile i think it's been identical but they have changed the where the ports are on which ports are in the front and where the ports are on the back and where the grills are on the back several times. And the insides have changed frequently. And I think that gets neglected because people think, oh, they haven't changed the case because it looks the same from the outside. Well, changing the inside is just as difficult, if not more difficult, than changing the outside. I guess at the outside you have to do some sort of artistic design. But the inside is every time they get new components or rearrange how the RAM connects to the motherboard, whether it's on a daughter card or directly on the motherboard, like that redesigning that inside, they've done that several times over, and it might as well be entirely different computers. If you compare a Power Mac G5, which is in the same quote unquote same case, to the insides of a current Mac Pro, the insides have no parts in common and don't match up almost in any possible way, except that I guess the optical drives are near the top front and the CPUs are in the bottom. They, they move the power supply, they move the hard drives around since the Mac Pro, they've just everything has moved inside there. So it's not like they're saving tons of money. I guess they're saving money on the machining for the external case, but they're not like saving tons of money on engineering effort because rearranging that inside is a pain in the butt. Uh, right, but maybe it's, maybe it's time. Month. Maybe it's time. Uh, it's been so long. Maybe it's time just to, for a different, a different case. Yeah, well, yeah. The, other, the reason you change the outside is, well, if you're going to change it in terms of, you know, ditching the opticals and all the kind of a MacBook Airification of the Mac Pro, where when they went with the MacBook Air, which everyone just assumes, which I believe too, when the next 15-inch comes along, at some point in the future, the 15-inch will look like the Air. They're going to ditch the optical drive. All of them will look like Airs. Get rid of stuff that's in there that you don't need anymore. In the laptop, it was mostly the optical drive. And change the shape of the case to accommodate that. So an application of that philosophy to the Mac Pro seems overdue. Uh, if only because the rest of the line is going through that change. Like the Mac Mini went through it. It got rid of its optical drive and changed its shape. Uh, the laptops are going through that thing, and and for fashion, just because now the, the Mac Pro doesn't get the fashion treatment. Even the iMac doesn't uh, much these days. Like the new iMacs, I think the last change it is when the screen went edge to edge. The glass of the screen goes all the way to the edge of the, of the machine, and the old ones, it didn't go all the way to the edge. But mostly they look the same. But but yeah, eventually you would think they have to change the outside if only to keep the thing looking fresh every decade or so. Uh, so. <laughs> So I think there's something behind that, but the, the article goes on to get to the meat of the matter, which is his crazy theory that 
they're going to ditch the Mac Pro and replace it with a bunch of Mac Minis that you could stack, and they would somehow connect together to become more powerful, like Voltron. I don't know. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to discuss this particular. That, that doesn't seem like the Apple way. At yeah, all. that's that's pipe dreamy. But he does eventually come to uh, a, a somewhat valid point. Uh, your your point that that's not the Apple way is that Apple Apple doesn't like cables and external boxes, which again makes me think it's weird that they sell third party external hard drives and they want you to connect them to their beautiful laptops. But anyway, they don't want a bunch of boxes connected with cables. They want it all in one thing with as few cables as possible coming out of it. So the idea that Apple would say, ditch this Mac Pro and replace it with a bunch of these boxes that you connect together doesn't seem that reasonable. Now, Thunderbolt comes in here because Thunderbolt is basically a PCI Express over a wire outside your box. So you could, in theory, have, for example, an external video card. I think someone is actually manufacturing one of these. I couldn't find the link, but I think there are, someone has announced that they are making an external video card where it's, you know, it's like a video card that they get from ATI or NVIDIA or something. Stick it in a box, give it some kind of power supply, and have a Thunderbolt connector hanging out of it, and connect that Thunderbolt connector to any Mac with a Thunderbolt port and with some software drivers have the Mac use that video card as if it's its video card because the video cards are currently connected to Macs in a PCI Express slot and Thunderbolt is like external PCI Express. So as far as the Mac is concerned, this video card looks like it's connected to a PCI Express slot or that's the that's the theory of the entire thing there that, that has the bandwidth, that has the latency uh, and it is basically PCI Express. You can have a video card outside your box. So hey, if you get your iMac and you can't play the latest game because the video card is a little bit too wimpy, buy big honking Terrorbox 2000 with fans in it and a power supply that has a big scary video card, connect it with your Thunderbolt port, and now you are able to game better and you can upgrade that box. Again, I think this is not likely at all. Maybe from the third party, third party will make it, but Apple Apple's never going to sell you a video card in a box. That seems very, very unlikely to me that they want you to hang this thing off the back of your computer, even with a Thunderbolt cable, seems very unlikely. I can't, I so finally, I, I can't wait to see that demo at WWDC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not... I don't even know how they'd photograph it. But yeah. you, ever, you ever notice, by the way, when Apple does photograph its Macs, if a cable appears in its Mac photograph, it is like the, the, the platonic ideal of a cable. It perfectly arcs from the device that it's connected to, sort of either disappearing behind the other device, or, you know, there's never any pretense that the cable actually connects from the to a port somewhere on the computer and their cables are it's almost like they're they're drawn in after the fact because when you get an actual cable they're wrapped up in the box in that little bundle and they're tied with a twisty tie when you uncrimp them they have all the kinks in them you know and those kinks never quite go out unless you stretch them (laughs) an actual cable does not look like what apple photographs really apple doesn't want there to be cables which is why they have all these Bluetooth accessories now and they don't have wires on their mice and all the stuff. So yeah, I can't imagine them trying to have an external box. But finally, at the end of this article, Cringely gets closer to what I think is reasonable. Um, He discusses not putting the video card inside an external box, but sticking it inside the display. Which, I mean, it's six of one, half a dozen the other, right? Well, it's an external box and it's connected Baha, but the monitor was already connected with a Thunderbolt port mini uh, display port, same connector type thing. And Apple has already shown a willingness to shove computing stuff inside of the display. The new 30-inch displays have Ethernet ports, FireWire ports, what else is on there? USB and all that stuff. And you connect the Thunderbolt cable from your new fancy Thunderbolt-equipped uh, Mac laptop to the monitor. And now your Mac laptop thinks it has an Ethernet port. It has a FireWire port. It has all the ports that it didn't have before. So if you connect your MacBook Air to your 30-inch display, suddenly your MacBook Air becomes a much more full-featured desktop-slash-laptop hybrid computer. Uh, And there's circuitry inside the 
monitor to do that. So putting a video card inside that monitor is still, I think, kind of on Apple-like, mostly because Apple doesn't really care about gamers and doesn't care about video cards, period. But it's more within the realm of possibility because it's not another box. It's just the monitor that you already have. And, Apple, and you don't need another cable because monitors you already connect with a Thunderbolt cable or, a mini, you know, it's the same thing as the mini DisplayPort cable. So there's not an additional cable there. And Apple has shown that they are willing to enhance the power of their laptops by sticking electronics inside their monitor. And it lets Apple raise the prices of their monitors, blah, blah, blah. Of course, the downside, any geek will say, well, great if I do that, but when my monitor dies, I lost my video card. And Apple doesn't care about that. Same thing with the iMac. Well, when my monitor dies, I lost my whole computer if I buy an iMac. Yes, that is 100% true. It's also true of laptops. Uh, you could get it repaired to great expense, but really, realistically, if the monitor dies on your iMac after a few years, you're just going to get a new computer. Apple doesn't really care about bundling together those two devices. You just have to deal with it. So I, I think it's, not, it's less likely, you know, it's less than 50% likely that this could ever happen, but it's still within the realm of possibility that Apple could one day decide to put a video, especially for laptops, they could put, you know, only Intel integrated graphics inside their laptops, like in a year or two years or two generations from now, when Intel's integrated GPUs are not as embarrassingly horrible as they are today. And they have been getting better. But, you know, they're already doing that now. They're going with the Intel graphics on there. I think on the Air is only have Intel graphics. And it's actually kind of a step down because the Intel graphics are not quite up to the level that the dedicated GPUs used to be. But it's clear that Apple wants to only use integrated GPUs for the power savings and all those other reasons, battery life and stuff like that. But it would be kind of neat if you could sell an even more expensive monitor with a more powerful video card in there and say, now when you hook up your MacBook Air to this 30, our new 30-inch display, it becomes a reasonable gaming rig where you can actually play games that you could never play on your Air by itself because of its cruddy integrated graphics. But you can play when you hook it up to a monitor. And really, that's how you want to play it anyway because it has a big screen and blah, blah, blah. Uh, now, if Apple does do this, I don't see it coming out anytime soon because Apple still hasn't even shipped its 30-inch displays. And I know this because I actually have one in order. Uh, those aren't even shipping. Mine is supposed to come on September 20th. So if this GPU and the monitor thing ever does come to pass, Cringely's theory is that it would happen about the same time as, as Apple produces a retina, a quote-unquote retina display for the desktop or a double-resolution type of display. And that doesn't seem like it's going to happen until the operating system has support for it. And that's not going to happen until maybe... 10.8 or something like that because the double resolution stuff exists in line, but it's a developer only feature that you need developer tools to turn it on. It's not an end user feature and half the apps break when you do it and so on and so forth. So I, I liked this. I like this story. It had something for everybody. It has vague rumors of the Mac Pro going away, which scares enterprise people. It's got crazy theories about clicking together a bunch of Mac minis and it's got a somewhat plausible idea of having a GPU inside a monitor. Uh, so I put the link in the show notes. I recommend people take a look at it. And uh, I will, I'm ready for something to happen to the Mac Pro. Even as a Mac Pro buyer, I'm ready to be shaken up a little bit. Do change the Mac Pro. Do do your worst. I'll, you know, I, I've, my computer is about three years old now, something like that. I'll probably buy a new Mac next year, the year after that, the latest. Uh, I'm willing to entertain options other than the existing ones. Let's take a minute and talk about our other sponsor for this episode. We'd like to thank SourceBits. SourceBits provides software design and development services for iOS, Android, Mac, and the web. And SourceBits is at the bleeding edge of emerging technologies. And their deep experience and its successful track record ensures that your idea will be transformed into a functional 
well-tested, and visually stunning world-class app and in no time. So if you have an idea for an app and you want to see that idea come to life, well, hey, SourceBits is the place that can do this for you. SourceBits has the know-how to save you time and money by getting it done right the first time. To learn more about SourceBits, to learn how you can get your iPhone or Android app idea come to life, you need to check out SourceBits.com, cutting-edge app development. And we thank SourceBits for supporting Hypercritical. Yeah, I would, if they came out with a smaller version of the Mac Pro, I would certainly, I mean, I'm only a year into this one, so it's still a bit early for me, but... Um, but I mean, size, it's, that's really the big disadvantage for me is, is the size and, and weight of this thing. So if they do something a little bit smaller, I'm always looking to, to minimize the amount of crap that I have in the office here. Yeah, I'm, and I'm ready to do like the optical drives and stuff like that. I'm, I'll give oh, I, haven't, I, I've, I think I've used my optical drive in my Mac Pro like once in a year. So yeah, I've used it much less than, than I have. Uh, you know, the, my usage has been on the decline rapidly. Uh, I would probably buy an external one just to have one around for the few times that I need it. Uh, but eventually, I'm assuming the computer after that, I wouldn't need that anymore either. So uh, in the remaining time, I actually do want to talk about the HP stuff. I know it has been talked about to death on other shows, but I want to have my say. <laughs> What's your uh, take? What's your take on all of this? You know, it's kind of it's kind of good that you waited, though, because, you know, it's more things have kind of cropped up. So, so you get to take a shot at, at the whole thing instead of, uh, instead yeah. of, you know, little See, pieces. Talking of, about it as it develops. Right? right. Exactly. Well, so I agree with pretty much everything that, that Marco and, and John said on their shows. Uh, so I won't cover that thing. I didn't get to listen to Horace show. I'm a little bit behind on my thing, but I assume that I agree with what he says too, because he's a smart guy. Uh, but there's one point that I didn't hear, at least on Marco and John's show that I want to talk about. And that's how, so how the HP thing feels if you're Microsoft. All right? I, I think maybe a few people talk about this a little bit. But you know, we were talking about what this means for the mobile market, what it means for Apple and Google, how HP has mishandled their, their, uh, the canceling of WebOS and all that business and, and the future of that operating system or lack thereof. But if you're Microsoft... Your main business at this point is still Windows and Office, right? And your model, the, the thing that has made Microsoft successful, as amazingly successful as it was in the 90s, is that they sell the software that runs the world's PCs, and they let the PC makers, the hardware makers, kill each other in ruthless competition uh, to on, on the hardware. Right? There, it's the commoditizing your compliments thing, where... Microsoft software is useless without hardware to run it on, but they don't want to be bothered with dealing with that nasty physical low-margin world of creating hardware. So they let tons and tons of computer hardware manufacturers compete against each other in every possible way, in every possible country, in every, any means necessary to sell the most PCs. And what it's resulted in is sort of a race to the bottom in terms of margins where HP, as, as uh, Gruber pointed out, was that the... the uh, had the largest market share in the PC market. They were selling more PCs than anybody, but they were making so little money off each one. It's like, you know, we'll, we'll make it up in volume. Well, they had the volume. They were the number one PC seller. And they've decided that that business is not worth being in. The margins are so low, 
that there's you know it's not growing like it used to be. Mobile is clearly where it's supposed to be, although they're getting into that business too. But that's all different story. But they, that it's not worthwhile being the world's biggest PC vendor. And think of think of what, what that means. Like in the '90s, you had so many different vendors competing against each other, and they slowly consolidated. Dell sort of came out of nowhere with with a, an even better business model to undercut everyone else's prices with direct sales and no retail channel and all this other stuff and build to order and selling to businesses. And Compaq couldn't make a run of it independently, and they, they got merged into HP. And I don't remember who, who picked up Gateway. Maybe Acer picked them up. Uh, consolidation happened as these vendors couldn't make a go of it anymore because their margins were so low or someone else had slightly lower margins, and they couldn't compete with them, and their sales went down, and they merged and merged and merged and merged until we basically had, at this point, maybe three or four PC vendors. You got HP, Dell, Acer, Lenovo. Who, who am I forgetting? Who, who's an actual player in the PC hardware market these days? Maybe Sony. I don't know. I think Sony sells too few. Yeah. Uh, but HP was the big dog. Uh, and so I looked up numbers for well, they did. Uh, 2010, for the entire year of 2010, HP sold 64 million computers. Dell was 43 million. Acer was 41 million. Right? And HP has said it's not worth it for us to be in that business. So sorry, guys, we're out. So my first question is, who gets those 64 million sales in 2011, right? The PC business is not growing like the mobile business, but it's not, I don't think it's shrinking yet. Maybe it's flat or maybe a tiny increase or whatever, but who, who gets those 64 million? Because HP is like, oh, no, we're not interested. It's just not worth it to us. We, we don't make enough money off that, or we don't think there's a future in that business. We want out. Does that 64 million computers get evenly distributed among Dell and Acer and Lenovo and friends? Where does that go? And, and the second thing, getting back to Microsoft, is Microsoft's whole strategy was to make other people deal with the crappy low-margin business. But now those chickens seem like you're coming home to roost where they're, the other people are like, you know what, Microsoft, we did this for so long, you made massive margins because you just sell software and you can duplicate that basically for free. It, and we're not, just not interested in being in carrying water for you anymore. We don't, we don't, it's not worth it for us to be in this business selling these crappy boxes at low margin because by now they're all crappy because to compete in this business and survive, you have to you know, get the lowest bidders and the crappiest parts that the customers can possibly stand and push them out the door, right? And the, uh, because you can't differentiate based on hardware and you can't differentiate based on a hardware software experience because Microsoft has become even more strict with don't crap up our computers with a bunch of custom interfaces. You're supposed to just run Windows 7 sort of the way it is. Don't make a custom, I mean, Compaq and all those other companies used to have their own custom interfaces when you'd boot the computer, it would say Compaq and it would show all this weird crap. They were trying to differentiate themselves, trying to earn that money, but they were so bad at it that it just pissed customers off and people just wanted a clean Windows install. So the question for Microsoft is eventually, will there be nobody left who wants to be the flagship who wants to provide the hardware for your software. Now that's hyperbolic because obviously they're selling Dell and Acer are selling 80 million computers a year between them. And those HP computers are going to go somewhere. So it's not like the PC market is going to disappear, but what Microsoft wants is kind of like what Intel wanted. They want a partner who will show off what they do. So Microsoft makes, they're going to make windows eight or whatever. They're going to want hardware partners who because make them look good because Microsoft software is useless in in isolation, just like the, the the vendor's hardware is useless in isolation. The product comes from the mixing of those two things, and the business model of having those things separated has been great for Microsoft and was arguably great for consumers when PCs were competing with each other. But now that the hardware side is so massively consolidated and so crappy and has raced to the bottom and is at the bottom, and the number one seller of PCs doesn't even want to be in that business anymore, 
who is Microsoft going to go to to show off Windows 8? Are they going to show it off on a Dell, on an Acer? Are they going to find a boutique maker like Sony to show off their thing? But, you know, that integrated experience that Apple has where they can make the hardware and the software as one sleek, awesome product. You know, here's the new MacBook Air shipping with Lion and it shows everything all together. And look how it makes sense to go full screen on our little 11-inch Air with Thunderbolt and connect it to the monitor with a, with a Thunderbolt cable. And, you know, the software all just works together and it's awesome. Where is that going to be for Microsoft? And Microsoft is desperate for good hardware partners. They were desperate for good hardware partners for their for the music players, you know, the plays for sure thing. And they basically decided, you guys stink. You're not making us look good. You're not selling well against the iPod. We're going to make our own Zune thing. And by all accounts, the Zune is a much better product than any of the pre-existing plays for sure things where they had other people making the music player hardware and they made the software and they combined them. The Zune, where Microsoft made the hardware and the software, was a much better product. Still didn't make a dent in the iPod. It was too late. But it shows that Microsoft can decide that its hardware partners are not are more trouble than they're worth. That they're not they're not helping Microsoft's efforts. So Microsoft got, has got Windows 8, and they want to ship it on a tablet, right? And but it's also supposed to be real Windows, and Windows 8 is going to ship on a desktop too. So I'm sure Microsoft is looking for someone to be a tablet partner, and maybe they'll find someone to be a good tablet partner for them. But for the PC, does Microsoft just say? We are resigned to the fact that from now on, our awesome new Windows 8, Windows 9, Windows 8 bazillion operating system, we're not, we, we can't show it off because the only thing we could put it on is the computer that everybody has, which is some crappy Dell or Acer thing, assembled of parts made by the lowest bidder. It's just ugly, low quality, not differentiated. They're just not going to, you know, is that not going to be a factor anymore? They're like, yeah, and we have Windows on desktops and it's not important, but, you know, it is what it is. Go to your store, go to your Best Buy and buy whatever crap they have there. Like Maybe that ship has already sailed, but it just seems depressing for me from Microsoft's perspective to see the other half of your business no longer being viable. Right? They had the salad years where they were reaping all the profit and the other guys were also making money because of the gro- huge growth of the PC industry, but they just had lower margins. And now it's kind of flattening out and everyone else is abandoning the ship on the other side. So I have to think from Microsoft's perspective, this HP exit, independent of all of the webOS mobile business or whatever, has to be disturbing to them. Somebody and gave the, up on their big market. I think, yeah, I think one, they're... One other thing, one other point for this is that the doomsday scenario... For, for Microsoft is not that nobody wants to make PCs. It's that almost nobody wants to make PCs. Because imagine that you know HP gets out and its sales go to Dell and Acer, but they mostly go to Dell. And eventually Acer gets out because they're just like, well, Dell has is now the, the you know, imagine 60 million of these 64 million go to Dell. Now Dell is much too big and Acer can't make margins because it doesn't have the, the volume contracts that Dell has and stuff like that. And then Lenovo is just in laptops. You know, imagine you end up with very, very few people massively dominating the PC hardware market. What happens then is the shoe starts to be on the other foot because Microsoft used to be able to pit the hardware makers against each other. But if there's so much consolidation that everybody bails out that there's so few left, suddenly Dell with selling, you know, 90% of the PCs sold in a year come from Dell or 80% or whatever. Suddenly Dell has massive bargaining power against Windows for Windows license pricing. You know what I mean? And that's what Microsoft does not want. They don't they they want you know just enough diversity in hardware so they compete against each other and give customers a good experience, but not so much that everyone makes a bunch of crap boxes. And not so little that now Microsoft is over a barrel on licensing fees and suddenly their massive profits for Windows and Office start going down because they don't have as strong a bargaining position because Dell's gonna say, Look, 
I, I guess they'd be both be in the same boat together. What is Dell going to say? We're not going to ship Windows on our computers. They'd never sell a computer. Though. Are they going to go with Linux? <laughs> no, maybe they they're maybe they're in the boat together in this. I don't know. I, I'm just thinking that from a Microsoft perspective, this HP thing looks like looks just bad. I think to, to go back, yeah, I agree. To, to to go back to what you're asking about, you know, who are they, who would they partner with to really show off, you know, Windows 8 or whatever, and and. I don't think the, you know, if, if I just think about in terms of uh, perceived quality of, of product, uh, I don't think it would be Dell or Acer. It seems like Lenovo would be the place that they would go because Lenovo is historically back, you know, back to when they, before they, before IBM uh, laptops and stuff came over, uh, that, you know, they put out some quality products and it seems like that would be a good partner for showcasing Windows 8. And, um, but I'm, I'm with you that this is a that this is a longer term problem, and I think that's probably maybe what kind of came out of all the conversations I've had in the last week with people about, um, you know, over the different podcasts about this, which is not about you know what this means now, you know, whether it's mobile or or you know with, with touchpad or anything like that. It's it's you know what was the impact going to be on this in ten years? Because you know the decline is already here. We are already seeing the decline from from desktop PCs, and but what. But, you know, how does Microsoft sort of fix this? Because this, you know, like you said, this, this ship has already sailed. We're, we're already seeing this happen. But where do they, where do they go from here to, to, I guess, to make sure that they can, you know, make as smooth as transition as possible? Because there's no doubt. I mean, do you, do you disagree that, that, or do you agree that, uh, that Windows as it is today is obviously going to, is going to go away at some point? Um, just like you know, we see Mac OS 10 become more iOS-like. Um, it seems like we're we're heading that way, and Windows is seems like they're they're still caught up in that in that old way of doing things. Well, see, the thing about desktop laptop PCs and Lenovo and stuff like that is that the Windows side of the world, it, it's not like it's not like PCs are going away. The Windows side of the world is looking worse and worse in comparison to what Apple does. So Lenovo makes. You know, then I think pads and stuff make good laptops. You know, usually better than Dell laptops and stuff like that. But they're not the lowest possible price. They are competing with Dell when they're selling to businesses and stuff like that. But either one of those put next to a new MacBook Air or something, even a, a, a naive consumer can tell one of these things is not like the other. Like they they don't the hardware does not hold up against Apple's hardware. Uh, now I don't. What I keep thinking back to is. What what does Microsoft do about this? Because I don't think the PC will quote unquote go away. Because the thing is, the market that the PC is in, a lot of those Apple just doesn't want. Apple does is not interested in selling to businesses because businesses are a pain in the butt. They have all these demands. They want a roadmap. They want all these features. And if you don't give it to them, they'll go to someone else. So I think they'll until or unless Apple ever becomes interested in selling to businesses, there will be a humongous market for selling PCs. But I don't think Microsoft will be happy just selling to business. Like, imagine if everybody had Apple hardware at home and PCs at work. Microsoft does not like that scenario. Microsoft wants a Windows computer on every single person's desk at home, at work, everywhere. Running Windows, just that's their mission statement, right? They will not be happy with that 
situation. But Apple certainly doesn't want those customers. Like they literally don't want them. They say, we're not interested. We don't, we're not interested in pitching your Fortune 500 company, put a Mac in everybody's desk. If you want to make a Mac in everybody's desk, we will gladly sell it to you. But if you have demands that you want to make of us that make our products worse for consumers, not interested. Sorry, take it or leave it. We sell what we sell. We'll do what we can to help you. We'll put in exchange support. We'll, you know, put remote wipe on all our iOS devices. Like we'll go to some length to help you with your enterprise needs. But we're not going to do what Dell does for you. We are not going to do what Microsoft does for you. If that's what you want, you know, stick with them. So I, I think because Apple is not interested in that, they're not going to, that, that market will not go away. But that market keeps Microsoft PCs in, you know, keeps them crappy, basically. Because to serve that market, you have to sacrifice so many things. You have to keep things the same. You have to keep legacy ports longer. You have to keep backwards compatibility longer. You have to be cheap, cheap, cheap because they're going to buy a million of these things and they want the lowest possible price. So I wonder if Microsoft will ever sort of pull a zoom in the PC business and say, all right, all, all our PC vendors are bailing. The ones who aren't bailing are selling to businesses. And Microsoft, truthfully, probably doesn't want that hardware business because that's kind of a slog they do want that software business selling all those exchange licenses and everything but what if they said microsoft is going to make a line of home computers sort of like the way they made their own line of music players sort of like the way they make the xbox where they make the hardware they make the software and they are going to compete with apple in for the hearts and minds of the consumers by making it you know better than apple's computers cheaper than apple's computers but also higher quality than Dell's, higher quality than Lenovo's because they have integration with the software, because they can release a finished product. They can release, finally, a Thunderbolt-equipped laptop at the same time Apple does with their own monitor that it connects to with a special Windows 8 that knows how to, you know. So, yeah, I, I wonder if Microsoft will ever dip its toe into actual PC hardware. This, that's also an eternal rumor. Years and years, decades and decades. Hey, what if Microsoft made a PC? Oh, they would never do that. They're competing with their own vendors. They did it with the Zune. They did it from day one with the Xbox, but they weren't competing with anybody. They just made it, you know, and Xbox has done pretty well. Zune was not a success in the market, but I believe Microsoft would say it's a success as a product. The product that they produced with the Zune was much better than the products produced by the Place for Shore licensing strategy. So I start to, I start to wonder now. Put it, put it on your calendar for 10 years from now. Revisit this topic. Is Microsoft making PC hardware or tablets or anything like that? All right, so this is for when Dan has to take time off to go to his son's high school graduation. We will talk about this again. That's right. We will re- we'll revisit this topic. So, <laughs> hey, we talked 10 years ago. Is Microsoft making tablet hardware or any hardware selling Windows, uh, running Windows yet? That's right. That's right. And we'll be uh, recording all of this onto our Holographic iPhone, cubes. Our iPhone chips. That Holographic are... cubes, I'm telling you, is the future. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's a lot to chew on, I think. Um, did you have anything else in your list or... or... Oh, I have so much more, but we don't don't have time. I actually wanted to talk about... Actually, one, one more thing I want to talk about Amazon. Okay. Briefly. Uh, you talked a lot about Amazon and what they're going to do with their tablet that everyone... The worst kept secret in the industry, their tablet strategy, what, what that's going to be like. Uh, again, I was thinking of what the HP stuff is like from the perspective of a company that's not directly involved in it. What does the HP thing look like if you're Amazon? Uh, not, not, well, not the HP thing, the Google Motorola thing mostly. Uh, I guess they could look at the HP thing too, but no. Google Motorola thing if you're Amazon. In one respect, it's like, well, so it doesn't affect us. Like, we are making our Android tablet, but we're not using Google's Android. We're just using it the same way that Barnes & Noble does in the Nook. 
we're, we're fine. We'll take your source code. You'll keep developing it, but we're not using any of your stuff. People aren't going to even know that it's running Android. It's our own interface. Uh, and, you know, what you do with your tablet or, I, or, or phone strategy is none of our business. But on the other hand, if you see the place that you're pulling your OS from, start to change where they're making their own hardware product, you have to wonder, so what does this mean for future licensing of these operating systems? Because we're, if we're going to launch a line of computers that rely on, like the half of the product, basically the software, underlying software of the product, not, not the part that the user sees, but the operating system itself, we don't control, we don't own, and it comes from some other party. And the advantage we're getting is we don't have to develop that operating system. They've already developed it for us. They continue to develop it. We'll just take it from them, take the, the underlying operating system, put it on our thing, put our user interface on top of it, and the next revision of the product, we'll go back and say, what, what have those Android guys done since then? Have they have an updated version of the core OS? Fine, we'll take that updated version, apply our tweaks to it, put our new software on top of it, we're fine. What if one day Google doesn't give away the Droid anymore? Like they say, okay, well, anyone who's got an existing Android, you can keep using that forever and ever. But in fact, our new product is going to use some other Droid thing, and it's not going to be licensed under the same license, or the licensing terms are going to change, or we're going to make a new code base. Maybe this isn't possible because it's GPL, and they can never really take away any of the same code, but maybe you don't get the updates as fast. Maybe the open source releases are not timely, and if you start competing with them, they ship their products based on the new Android core before they do the open source release, and then when they do the open source release, that's when you get to start working on your product, so you're behind. I have to think that Amazon is looking a little bit warily at Google's moves. Is there not, it's not like they're HTC or some phone vendor who should really be scared because not like, all oh, these guys have their own, they're going to make their own phones. They're directly competing with us. You know, they're not directly competing with Amazon in the same way. But Amazon should be a little bit concerned, especially since this is a product that hasn't launched yet. This was like, right, we're going to make an Amazon tablet and it's going to be X, Y, and Z and we're going to use Android because that's what everybody's doing. And then just as you're presumably putting the finishing touches on your product, uh, Google buys Motorola and you start rethinking your entire strategy. And at the same time, HP bails on webOS. Now, what I would be thinking about if I was at Amazon is before we pull the trigger on, trigger on this tablet thing, <laughs> do we want to buy webOS and be masters of our own destiny? Ditch, the, ditch our existing product, still chip an Amazon tablet, but remake the Amazon tablet on top of webOS instead of on top of Android. And we will own webOS because we'll buy it from HP for a song. It will be the masters of our own destiny. We'll be able to do what Apple does and coordinate our hardware and software. And yeah, we'll have to hire a bunch more people because all those people that we didn't have to hire because we used Android, now we do have to hire some OS people because we're going to own our own OS. We bought it at a fire sale. We have our own OS, and it's actually a pretty good OS, you know? And it's got a nice interface, and maybe we can actually use that interface and just make a custom Kindle Amazon bookstore app thing on top of it that it launches into, right? I think since they haven't shipped anything, since they're not like they don't have an installed base, they're not screwing anybody, they don't have to worry about compatibility, now would be the time to at least have the meeting and say, so do we keep going with this Android thing or do we take a six-month hit and sort of not so much start over but rejigger things so that we, you know, let's buy WebOS, let's put it on the hardware they've already designed maybe wait a year to get faster hardware to make it more viable because as everyone said on the other shows, I can imagine the Amazon tablet mostly being a fancy color Kindle. Here's an awesome way to buy stuff from the Amazon store, to read books, and to watch movies. It's not, here's something that competes with the iPad. It's, it's, you know, it's a magical, colorful window through which you can give money to Amazon in exchange for entertainment. That's, uh, that's what I think Amazon is buying, uh, especially in the short term. And that doesn't have to 
have like Android Marketplace or their own market for Am- I guess they already did. Didn't they already do the the Amazon Marketplace thing for Android apps? Yeah, they did. Um, what are those? If you buy them, they don't run on Amazon devices though, because there is no Amazon device for them to run on. Like they don't run on the Kindle, right? So they could let that die on the vine and say. You know, well, we have this Amazon app marketplace, but our device is the Kindle Color, and you can buy Kindle apps for it. And like, I'm wondering, like, can they get from where they are now to transitioning into that colorful tablet through which you give money to Amazon in exchange for entertainment, and then long-term transition to uh, an actual tablet platform? Once they have a bazillion of these things out there, they can say, "Oh, by the way, you know, we've sold hundreds of millions of Kindle Colors, or whatever they're going to be called." Uh, the next version of it, or maybe the version you have already now, that hardware is actually a full-fledged tablet platform, and you can actually run apps on it, and here's an app store, and now you can start buying them, and suddenly they're a viable competitor to Apple. Uh, I don't think that's in the card short-term, but certainly the long-term prospects of competing with Apple are much better if you own your own operating system, and much better if your operating system is WebOS and not Android, because Android historically has not been able to compete with Apple on fit and finish and user interface whereas webOS has come the closest to doing that, despite it being slow, despite it being buggy, so on and so forth. Uh, I said many shows ago, we were discussing with Dan what we thought the prospects of webOS and HP was. I said, if HP gives it a chance, you know, if they're willing to go into the long haul, they're a big company, if they put the money and time behind it, they can give webOS the opportunity that it didn't have when it was independent in Palm. And, you know, we see how that turned out. <laughs> give it a chance, forget it. They, they, they killed the baby in the crib, which is fine. That's what they want to do for their business, you know. But I'm just saying that I'm, I still think WebOS has a chance. Uh, I think it's it, an interesting theory to with, with, with Amazon that they would pull in. I mean, because, I mean, look, I mean, I don't know. Do you own a Kindle? Yeah. I so, do. okay, so I, I, I bought the second generation one. I mean, and, you know, the software isn't, you know, it's not great or anything. It, it, it works. You read books on it. Um, so they don't really have any major accomplishments in terms of of creating, you know, the, some sort of software for a tablet type device. So it seems like uh, it seems like a good theory that they would buy the uh, the WebOS and, and and use that. And the one thing that Amazon has different, and I think I mentioned this, or, or somebody mentioned this on one of the other shows as well, that that HP didn't have, and and all these other tablet makers don't have, that Apple does have, that where they can compete. Is the the e-commerce uh, platform and the the user accounts and the credit cards and the existing um, customer base to come in and actually compete? So we're and that's one of the reasons I love Amazon is because and the reasons I like my Kindle and why I use the Kindle app even on my iPad and on my iPhone as opposed to the uh, iBooks is because everything is already there and you know they have my account information. It's already to me a comfortable place to purchase purchase books and if they had a for a lot of people if they who aren't maybe apple product users if they had a um and i assume this is probably why they're doing this amazon app store for android is that you know if your comfort level is already there buying stuff from amazon then it seems like a good bet that people will at least try out this uh you know whatever type of tablet device that amazon can come up with if it's web os i think that's great because i agree with you i mean web os is is nice and uh, and uh, it would be great to see some other some other people competing in that space to kind of keep uh, keep everybody a little honest. Yeah, and in a in a week or month, apparently that's been filled with 
extremely bold moves. Agree with them or not agree with them. These are big plays. And Motorola buying Google or Google buying Motorola is a big play. HP ditching its PC business and dropping WebOS, a big move, right? This is the time to be doing big moves. And the best time, if, if Amazon is going to make the decision, the best time to do it is before you ship your thing, before you ship mm-hmm. your Android tablet. Make the decision now. That This is like a Steve Jobs-style decision where you have this meeting, and Steve Jobs, if he thought it was the right thing to do, would not hesitate to say, I know you guys work for two years on this product, but we're not shipping. Canceled. Let's, we're going to buy it. We're going to try to buy WebOS, see if that works out. And if it does, we're going to come up with a new plan because we think this is the best way forward. And it wasn't an option before because we couldn't afford WebOS. Maybe they bid for it against uh, uh, HP. I don't know. Uh, it, if I was Apple and I was thinking long term, I'd say, who are my competitors? My competitors are the entire ecosystem of Android vendors, which is this ever-changing soup of people, which now all of a sudden starts including Google because they're going to make their own hardware through Motorola, or the single company Amazon. So Amazon starts looming large because you're like, well, Android is much bigger. I mean, Amazon doesn't even have a player in this market yet. They've got their Kindle, fine, but that's not competing with us, right? Well, kind of, sort of, but not really. Uh, But if they do enter the market, as you pointed out, Amazon knows how to sell things. And I don't know how many Kindles Amazon has sold, but I bet it's a lot of them. Uh, And and think think of the, the, the Kindle hardware. Amazon sold what I only assume has to be millions of some of the worst hardware products ever made by man. <laughs> the Kindles are not good hardware products. Not even from a, like, this is not Amazon's strength, clearly. They have buttons all over them, the stupid keyboards, you can't hold the edges because the page turn things happen, they're flimsy, they're getting, you know, and Amazon knows, like, you know, c- certain things matter and certain things don't. And we are not expert hardware makers, but what matters to customers is make it as cheap as possible and can I read my books on it? Right. Can I find my books? Can I buy my books? Can I read my books? Can I use it? And they will put up with crappy hardware, horrible interfaces, having to use a little five-way sticks. We don't have a touchscreen. They'll put up with a lot of crap if you can get that price low enough and if you can put it, you know, put it in the hands of enough customers. Amazon is doing the the anti-Apple strategy here where it's like we care about selling things. We know how to sell things. We have the books. We have the markets. We have the customers. Compare it, for example, compare iBooks with Kindle. Why is iBooks, the iBooks bookstore, why is that not doing as well as Amazon selling eBooks? You know, is it because the hardware is better? No, the iPad hardware is better than the Kindle hardware. By all outward appearances, Apple should be doing much better versus Amazon if you just look at the hardware, even their software. Now, Kindle's fans will immediately say, oh, no, no, you don't understand. The hardware may be crap, but it's, it's the e-ink screen. That makes the big difference. And, and uh, Kindle proponents will swear up and down. There's no way you can compete with a Kindle if you don't have an e-ink screen. This is the whole reason we use this device. Apple's not interested in making the e-ink screen for obvious reasons. The refresh doesn't lend itself to what Apple wants to do with its tablet platform. Uh, but it's, you, you can't compete. I think that's not even true. I think that if Amazon came out with a Kindle that was as cheap as or cheaper than the ink version, but had a crappy low quality LC color LCD on it, they would still sell a bazillion of them. And the few diehard Kindle people would be like, oh, crying, I want my e-ink, ink was so much better. It would be kind of like the people who will cry someday when Apple cancels the Mac Pro. It's, it's a drop in the bucket. App, Amazon could have been just as successful not having these things be, be e-ink. Uh, because despite what people, despite what the big hardcore Kindle readers think, people will read off LCDs. I've gone through this before in old articles on ours. 
people will read off LCDs. People will read off crappy LCDs. They will, they will do it. Uh, now, I think the e-ink has been a big factor because it's a differentiator to, to get up to, who, I don't think, remember whose point this was, maybe Marcos, that if you're going to compete with Apple, don't do what Apple's doing. By going with e-ink, the big thing that makes it successful is not because e-ink is so awesome that every single customer can clearly see that it's better than a color LCD. In fact, I would imagine if you put the two things in front of people, a huge amount of them would pick the color LCD just because it's color, despite all the other issues. But it's been successful because it's not like the iPad. It's a different thing. So people don't comparison shop. People don't say, well, I can get an iPad or I can get a Kindle. No, they're totally different. It's differentiated product. This, this is for reading books. You want to read books? We sell this thing, and hey, it looks different. Doesn't the screen look different to you? It's not backlit. It looks kind of like paper, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, it does not look like the iPad. It's not in competition. You don't, you're not comparison shopping these two things. You want to read books? Get a Kindle. Get a Nook. Now, the Nook color with the LCD screen is a different thing, but back when the Nooks were e-ink, right? This is a book reader, and that's a tablet. Oh, and by the way, our book reader is like 100 and something bucks. It's not a $500 thing, right? So that differentiation has helped them sell a lot of things. But now they've got their foot in the door and they've got the critical mass. There are tons of people who are Kindle readers. And if you could sell them a $150 color LCD Kindle reading thing, I think they would sell a ton of them. And I think they could slowly transform that into a platform that competes with Apple in terms of money made through it. Uh, not in terms of selling to the same customers, but it's like, who's making money? selling mobile devices. Well, Amazon's making them because they sell these devices that let you buy Amazon stuff from anywhere in the world, any way you want, and consume their content. They rent you video. They stream you movies. You can buy movies on it. You can buy books on it. Everything's all synced, integrated, wireless, blah, blah, blah. And Amazon makes a ton of money as a retailer off of that. Or Apple's thing where they make a ton of money in the hardware and little incidentals selling the software and stuff like that. So I think this... This interplay will be interesting. I'm not as interested in who can try to compete with the iPad with Windows 8, with Android tablets, stuff like that. Those guys have shown that they don't know what they're doing and they haven't figured out how to compete. Amazon has not played its cards yet. Amazon is, is waiting. And I think they've made a big, big, strong opening move with the Kindle showing we know how to get things done even though we don't have the same skill set as Apple. We can't make good hardware. We make crappy, ugly hardware that's complicated and hard to use, uh, right? But we find the two or three things that are important. We make the purchase experience easy, and we know our audience. We knew that book nerds would love this because it, because it doesn't have a backlit screen, and that that's how we got our foot in the door. And now we're selling them to everybody, and their grandmother has these things. People who don't know what e-ink is and have never heard of it, right? Yep. So this is what I'm I'm looking at for the future. I'm looking at what will Amazon do with this tablet? Will they decide to go with their Android thing? Will they start competing with Apple now, or will they stay in the ebook ghetto for as long as they possibly can? And then, like, leap out many years later. Have there been any hints for, for a timeline for Amazon's tablet? Like you said, it's the biggest, you know, known secret out there. Yeah, there. I think Amazon is also doing very well, taking a lesson from Apple and saying, "Let's not talk about it." Right. Let's not, they're not even admitting. I don't think they've even admitted that this such a project exists. Like, they're not at trade shows showing, and we're thinking of making this and holding this thing up, and it'll be out in a year, and then it gets like. So Amazon has the luxury thanks to this wonderful strategy they learned from Apple, to, if they wanted to, can the whole project by WebOS start over? They could do that now because you can't say, oh, well, where's my Amazon tablet? So what, what are you talking about, Amazon tablet? We never announced a tablet. You're just making things up. You have no idea what we're doing internally. So I, I assume that the Amazon tablet will ship in early 2012 uh, at the latest, Q1 2012 at the latest, if they don't ditch their whole plan. And I assume they will not ditch their plan, despite all my fantasies about WebOS. I assume Amazon <laughs> will not touch it. 
with the 10-foot pole. Well, they may have that meeting. I hope they do have that meeting. But I think the end result of that meeting is will probably be that they're not going to make that kind of move at this point. They want to get into the market. They want to get going. In fact, I would imagine if I was in that meeting and I was told to argue against buying WebOS, I would say, look, this thing that we're going to ship, no one can tell what the heck operating system it's running anyway. We're not selling apps on it. It's only a way for people to buy Amazon stuff. Worst case, let's have this meeting again in a year. If WebOS still hasn't been purchased, or even if it has, we can get it for even cheaper, right? And we can swap out our operating system underneath our next version of the whatever we're calling our tablet. And people won't even know because there's no apps or anything. We'll just port all our, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you, you're not closing the door on a WebOS buy in a future uh, having a real tablet platform by not buying it now. So ship what you have now, get it out the door, start getting it into the market, even if it's ugly. Don't sell apps on it, right? And then we'll we'll look at this again in a year, and maybe the next version will actually be running WebOS, unbeknownst to all our customers. So all that's right, what Am- Amazon, if you're listening, have the meeting. Let make John Syracuse happy. And, yeah, you, it, and have the meeting. Me in. Conference me in. Conference him <laughs> in. Exactly. Maybe that. Maybe they were calling you. Maybe that's what that yeah. phone sound was. I can make strong arguments for and against. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, those are some bold. Those are some bold. Uh, bold predictions, but I think it. I think it all makes sense. So. Well, maybe this is a good place to to wrap up then. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, uh, this has been fun. So it has been. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on in, uh, in in place of Dan. And uh, as far as I know, then he'll be he'll be back uh, in his uh, regular seat that I've been keeping warm for him for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and actually, I will not be here next week. I'll be on vacation, so I won't be having a show next week, okay. probably, anyway, unless unless we manage to squeeze it in the weekend after or do two shows in the week after that. So I assume by the time that I'm ready to podcast again, Dan will Dan, be back. Dan will be ready to podcast with me, but it's been fun. Great. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, John, and yep. um, we'll uh, talk to you soon. Okay. want to make sure we thank Midas Green Tech for doing the bandwidth for this episode of Hypercritical, and of course, freshbooks.com be sure to go over there and check out their free account and also sourcebits.com if you have an app idea that you want to see come to life check out sourcebits.com mm-hmm.